It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Here's your host. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a good one today. It's going to be uh, really interesting. Um, we have uh, Dr. Bertie Simmons is going to be joining us during the third half of our three-hour tour. She's an octogenarian who still makes social justice her number one cause, which has been her passion since childhood. She has a new book about her life uh, called Whispers of Hope, which includes how she ended up with a $10 million grant for reimagining schools from Steve Jobs' widow. And uh, I'm going to be asking her how one goes about getting a $10 million grant from Steve Jobs' widow. I'll be asking for a friend, of course. Um, And uh, also, we're going to talk with uh, Barbara Fries, who um, has a new book called Denial, um, about various industries and how society has fought back against corporate lies using tools of democracy like boycotts, etc. She's... uh, a former assistant uh, attorney general in uh, Minnesota and um, an environmental attorney but uh, and also we're going to I'm going to squeeze in a little tease for tonight's uh, presidential debate with some memorable moments from past debates that's all coming up but uh, this first hour we're going to talk about how billionaires keep making money while it seems like everybody else is struggling and the folks at uh, Americans for Tax Fairness uh, together with the Institute for Policy Studies have uh, studied this a little bit and come out with some uh, interesting information and here to talk about that from Americans for Tax Fairness joining me by phone is Mark Rickling. Mark welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on I appreciate it. Um, Mark, let me let me ask first a, a couple of uh, you know just get into context questions. What is Americans for Tax Fairness? We are a liberal coalition. We're comprised of I would say about 420 different national organizations, and I'd say there are three types of groups in our coalition. One are labor unions, so the AFL-CIO. Uh, both teachers' unions, the American Federation of Teachers, the National Education Association, 
uh, are in our uh, union, and also the UAW, um, maybe in particular interest for people in Michigan, are a part of our coalition. So that's one group. Uh, a second group is sort of constituent-based organizations, um, anti-poverty groups, uh, groups that work on human needs, public citizen would be the second type of uh, organization in our coalition. And the third type are the left of center think tanks, the Center for American Progress, Center on Budget, uh, the Economic Policy Institute as the third type of group that comprises our coalition. And hey Mark, I just want to mention, you said liberals like it's not a bad thing. <laughs> exactly. Some people like the progressive ter term or word. Uh, other people, like myself, don't run away from the term liberal. But we are proudly um, sort of on the left side of the ideological spectrum. And sort of what unites our group is the belief that our nation's tax system is fundamentally broken. The rich in corporations are not paying their fair share. And what we really need to do is raise trillions of dollars in new revenues over the next 10 years to do a couple different things. Uh, number one, we need that new revenue to protect Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, programs that all Americans depend on, pay into, and want to see when they're there, um, when they retire. And number two, we need to raise this new revenue to make new investments in things that have been going uh, starving for resources for far too long, like the nation's infrastructure, education, housing, nutrition, maybe a down payment on a, a green economy, things like that. So that's our group in a nutshell. And when you say tax fairness, uh, are, are you hinting that maybe we should all get to pay just $750? I personally would like that. <laughs> I know that is a lot less than the um, taxes I paid last year, but you know, if I take a step back and I don't look so selfishly at my own personal finances, I think that would be really bad for the country and bad for me personally, too, if nobody paid any taxes. There are a lot of good public services that are delivered that people count on. I just named Social Security as being one of them. And taxes support them. So while, you know, everybody personally would not like to pay any taxes as the New York Times um, just indicated that our president um, hasn't been doing for most of the past 18 years. Um, we, as a coalition, don't think that would be a good course um, to follow. Well, and I want to mention uh, another group. Um, I, I, I just want to touch on the Institute for Policy Studies because uh, um, Chuck Collins, uh, who heads that mm -hmm. up, has uh, been a guest many times on the program and has talked about uh, patriotic millionaires. And uh, sure. this is, uh, as you well know, a group of people who are, are in that, that, that upper bracket. They have a lot of money. They're set. But they also express a willingness to be taxed more so that we can do more stuff because they don't want to live in a world that doesn't have Social Security, Medicare, and uh, good infrastructure, clean water, um, and, and, and people who know how to read. Um, and and I, just, I just wanted to mention them because I know you work closely with Chuck Collins. Correct, yeah. Both the Institute for Policy Studies is a member of our coalition as well as the Patriotic Millionaires. And as you say, you know, that they are wealthy Americans that see, can see that they can actually afford more taxes 
And if we had a fair tax system where people such as themselves, rich individuals, were paying their fair share, that we would have a better country for all of us, from millionaires down to people who are just average, ordinary working Americans, that um, a good tax system where people could not escape paying their fair share would be better for everybody. Um, that hints at maybe uh, considering a flat tax? A flat tax, I don't think, is the way to go. I know that, you know, in past presidential cycles, people have um, floated that idea, and it seems to resonate. But the idea that is behind our current tax system is one of progressive taxation. Uh, progressive taxation is built upon the idea that the more money you have, the more in taxes you can afford, and the more you should be paying. So somebody who is working minimum wage as a percentage of their overall income, they should pay a smaller percentage than someone who is a billionaire that has you know, too much money to, to spend in their lifetimes, too much money to do you know, reasonable things with it in terms of being good for the economy at large. And those people, because they're so rich, can afford a higher percentage of their overall income. So that is the idea that um, uh, undergirds our current tax system, even though it's broken and even though we don't live up to that idea. And I really think that going to a flat tax would be a step in the wrong direction because that would mean those rich people would be paying the same percentage of their overall income as someone who is making minimum wage, someone who's an ordinary average American, like a teacher, uh, a policeman, a firefighter, uh, occupations like that. Yeah, but 10% of a billion dollars is a lot more than 10% of uh, 20,000. That's true. That's true. And, and I think for a lot of people that are math-challenged like me, as soon as you get past the initial um, explanation of a progressive tax, it then becomes really complicated and hard to figure out. Uh, with I think that's right. And I would just say, I think, you know, the, the issue with the flat tax is kind of a bait and switch in as much as, you know, it puts forward the idea that percentage is the complicated thing about taxes. That percentage is not the complicated thing about taxes. The complicated thing about taxes is what's income. And this is what we're seeing in the New York Times bombshell story about the president's tax returns. How is he able to pay zero in taxes? How is he able to pay just $750 for each of the two years he was president of the United States? And that's because it's these loopholes that let very, very rich people say, no, actually, I'm not rich. I didn't have all that income this year. So that's the complicated part about taxes. Is what is income? What loopholes can you use? Can you exploit to pay no taxes? And it's not really that percentage. Um, of your income that you owe in taxes that's the complicated thing, that's the difficult thing. Well, having set all that and set this up, um, I sure. mentioned that uh, Americans for Tax Fairness, uh, together with the Institute for Policy Studies, has uh, been studying what has gone on during the pandemic at a time when lots of people have lost jobs, um, certainly uh, lost some income, whether they were employed by somebody or entrepreneurs and their businesses had to shut down and so on. Um, and yet, your, your study shows that uh, billionaire wealth grew by 29% during the first six months of uh, 
the coronavirus crisis. That's correct. It's really mind-boggling. It's really hard to wrap your head around. We're facing one of the worst uh, economic calamities in our country's history. 200,000 people are dead because of this pandemic. The economy has crashed. Uh, 50 million Americans lost jobs for some period of time. Uh, Currently, 30 million Americans are uh, receiving some sort of unemployment benefit. And yet, in this time, uh, the nation has 643 billionaires. In this period of this pandemic, their wealth has grown 29%, or $845 billion, with a B, dollars. How is that even possible? That, like, almost, it's hard to, to make sense of that. How are the wealthy doing so well during this time of mass crisis, of mass economic dislocation, of mass pain and suffering. Well, and and one other thing I wanted to mention, and and I'm maybe maybe stalling just a little bit, Mark, because we've got about two minutes, two and a half minutes till we go to break, and I want to sure. dig down on where all this money comes from, money for pandemic relief, the money that billionaires are making, um, because it seems like with the economy in crisis. Everybody would suffer, and I, I want to dig down on how it is that some people suffer and some people don't, and, uh, and we'll get into all that. But I did want to mention uh, parenthetically that it was uh, uh, Supreme Court Justice uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes, a, a conservative, who um, famously said that uh, taxes are the price we pay for a civilized society. I think that's a great, great sentiment, and that seems like something um, we should uh, return to in the future as we move forward. It's um, a a, a great way to understand that the whole point of of taxes is and or should be and and has often been um, this, this notion that everybody's chipping in to make the country better, to make quality of life better for everybody in it and we're going to get into that and a lot more with uh, mark rickling uh, mark what what is um what do you do for americans for tax uh, fairness i am the policy and legislative director for americans for tax fairness so i work on policy issues but i also head up our um, lobbying program um, helping uh, our coalition focus on tax bills um, uh, before Congress on getting uh, our elected representatives to this country uh, to go bolder on taxes, to pass bills that would stop uh, the rich and corporations from avoiding paying their fair share of taxes. Well, we're going to get into that and lots more with Mark when we return. If you're listening to us on uh, WFOV 92.1 FM, um, our voices radio in Flint. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be right back. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner Program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Your calls matter. Join me and Andrea weekdays from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern to talk about whatever you want to talk about. The Tom Sumner Program has open phone lines Monday through Friday to hear from you. How's 2020 working out for you so far? How about those damn roads? Call in live at 810-339-8255. It's all about you. We'll be streaming live at TomSumnerProgram.com and simulcast on WFOV 92.1 FM in Flint. Foil hats are optional. You thought you had every Elvis record made, but wait, Elvis sings again, this time from heaven. That's right, Elvis from heaven. Yes, hear Elvis from Graceland in the Sky, soul-stirring versions of epic proportions. You'll hear Elvis crooning, Pearly Gate Rock, all dug up, lying in the chapel, and 11 others. This record also includes a special Elvis message. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Elvis Presley. Order before midnight tonight and receive this Elvis Presley commemorative casket keychain. Open it up. Yes, the king inside. A must for any Elvis fan. Order yours today. To order your Elvis from Heaven, send $9.95 in check or money order to Elvis from Heaven, P.O. Box 714, Cleo, Michigan, 44487. Or save COD charges and phone 555-5554. Use Master Charge or Visa, Canadian residents, add $3. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. Engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. My guest this hour is from the uh, Americans for Tax Fairness. Um, He is Mark Rickling, who joins me by phone. Mark, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Uh, My pleasure. Um, Mark, just before the break, we were talking a little bit about uh, uh, some of the work that you do for uh, Americans for Tax Fairness, including uh, lobbying Congress uh, for uh, stronger tax bills to raise more money. You mentioned, uh, I, I can't remember the figure. I know it, I know it had a T. There was a trillion in it somewhere um, about the money that needs to be raised to shore up existing uh, services and programs by the federal government. Um, and uh, I, I guess the question is, how's that going for you? So <laughs> uh, no, in this Congress... Not so well. Um, And the problem is that uh, Democrats can pass good bills in the House, but with the Republican-controlled Senate, those bills are essentially dead on arrival. So anything that um, uh, gets passed um, in the House of Representatives, if it's a good tax bill, it will land at Mitch McConnell's feet, and he will not move on it. He won't hold a vote on it. He won't discuss it. He won't have committee hearings on it. So that's the problem sort of we're faced with right now with divided government, with Republicans controlling the Senate and Democrats controlling the House, um, that it is really impossible to get any sort of good tax bill through Congress. Um, And then ultimately the president would have to sign that to make the rich and corporations pay their fair share. And honestly, you know, that's not where Republicans are. Uh, If we just look back two years, Uh, the 2017 GOP uh, Trump tax bill, and that was when um, Republicans controlled both houses, both the House of Representatives and the Senate, and obviously the White House. They passed a massive, massive giveaway to the rich in corporations, $1.9 trillion over 10 years. There's that T word again um, in tax cuts to the wealthiest among us uh, was the heart of that bill they passed in 2017 in December. Um, They said it would pay for itself, that it wouldn't um, add to the deficit, that the massive amount of new investment in economic activity spurned by this bill would raise so much tax revenue on its own that uh, we wouldn't be further in the hole by $1.9 trillion. Um, Needless to say, that didn't come to pass. Let me, um, well, first let, let me just point out that we've had divided government in the past and didn't seem to be as hamstrung as we've been in recent years. Um, but there also didn't seem to be as much of an economic divide as uh, what the report that uh, Americans for Tax Fairness and Institute for Policy Studies got together and, uh, and did and looked at. Um, with regard to how billionaires are doing during the pandemic. Um, but, but let me ask this, and, and this is one of those things that comes up whenever Republicans are talking about tax cuts. Um, there's not really, uh, the discussion comes up about, well, how are we going to pay for it? And the answer is always by cutting certain programs. Sometimes they get cut, sometimes they don't the tax cuts happen anyway. Um, But 
the, the question to all of these things, whether it's stimulus money for people who are, you know, out of work or um, impacted by the economic downturn created by the coronavirus uh, six months ago, six plus months now, um, and, and, and even more importantly, the money that these billionaires are raking in to the tune of 29% increases over the last six months, um, where does that money come from? Because for somebody who's a little bit math-challenged like me, Mark, um, it, it, uh-huh. it seems like the way the economy ought to work is, yeah, there are people who who do well and are successful in business. They invent some new widget that everybody's got to have. But everybody's got to have it in order for them to make that money and be successful. With so many people out of work, where is the money billionaires are making coming from? That's a good question. I don't know if I can um, totally answer that, but let me try to take a stab at that. So... What we're really looking at is sort of a K-shaped recovery. Uh, we are up right now from the bottom of the uh, depression recession that we hit with the coronavirus uh, pandemic. So the economy is coming back. People are starting to go back to work. We're nowhere near the level where we were, say, in January of this year. But um, some ac- economic activity has returned. But the question is, who is benefiting from that and who is not? And what we're really seeing is a K-shaped recovery, K in the sense that it's going up for those at the very top. And for most Americans, it's holding steady or still going down. So it's like, who is benefiting from the recovery? Well, we look at some of the billionaires on this list. Amazon. Nobody wants to go to the supermarket or few people want to go to the supermarket or if they're immunocompromised if they're an older individual, if they have health issues. They're certainly not going to department stores. Exactly. And so they're, they're rightfully so concerned about contracting this deadly virus that's already claimed 200,000 lives. So they're availing themselves of services that are already out there that will, say, deliver a package to their front door like Amazon. Amazon's a huge monopoly. It's the only sort of game in town if you're... Um, somebody uh, who has a business that wants to sell on uh, their service. There are a ton of rules and regulations that make it um, advantageous for Jeff Bezos and not so advantageous for your small business to sell via the Amazon platform because it's literally the only game in town. And he is, um, needless to say, the richest billionaire in this country. And his wealth since the start of this pandemic has grown 64.8%. And that's just mind-boggling. That's shocking. But that sort of starts to get at your question, where is this money coming from? Yeah, but Uh, with Jeff... And I've seen a lot of different uh, uh, looks at Jeff Bezos and the money that he's making. But, you know, again, that gets back to this idea that if um, if he's the only game in town and and he's built a better mousetrap, um, you know, some people look at that and say, of course Jeff Bezos is doing well mm-hmm. because his is the only business model that 
that functions fully in the midst of the pandemic. It provides an opportunity for people to buy remotely and, and have things delivered to their home and so on. But eventually those people deplete their savings and, and don't have the money to spend. How does that, how does that not interrupt the cash flow to billionaires I that that just that has me completely boggled if you don't have people to buy your widgets how are you selling widgets I think that's a great great uh, observation as well and sort of this, there, there was this idea in the past in this country of shared prosperity you think to Ford um, you need uh, consumers with money in their pockets to afford the goods to afford the services that you're producing and if they don't have that money in their pockets because you're paying them such a low, low level, it's bad for everybody. So to what extent are we in that situation right now? I would say we are. Does that mean that there's going to be further economic calamity down the road? Well, it's hard to predict the future, but I would certainly be very concerned about the direction our country is taking with so many people uh, not having enough to meet their basic needs and so many uh, of our nation's billionaires taking so, so much. Is that economic inequality bad for the uh, economy as a whole? I would say yes, it is bad, and it's very dangerous. I, you know, I've, for four years, I've heard the president talking about how great the economy was doing until, you know, until mm-hmm. February and March when things started slowing down because of the pandemic and then abruptly came to a halt for a lot of people. Um, but but I've heard these these chants of of how great the economy was doing the best economy in the history of economies and you know all of the boasts by the president and every time I hear one of those whether it's the president or somebody one of his supporters saying well but look at the economy we've got this great economy and I keep thinking not in my neighborhood I think that's right so. We were climbing out of the Great Recession. The economy was growing. Um, One of the good things um, that happened was the Federal Reserve, the um, government body that controls the the nation's money supply, that kind of sets the interest rate, how much money you get charged for borrowing money, um, sort of the heart of a lot of economic activity. They let the unemployment rate fall really low. So, uh, you know, in years past, decades past, if unemployment got too low, if the unemployment rate got, you know, below 6% or 5%, the Federal Reserve would sort of throw the brakes on the economy. They would jack up that interest rate. They would slow down economic activity uh, because of inflation. They were worried if ordinary working people started to make too much money, that that would um, put pressure on prices. Prices would start going through the roof. And that would be bad for everybody. That's the sort of logic they operated with. That was not what they followed recently. And they let that um, unemployment rate fall to like 3.9%, historically a very, very low level. So a lot of people had jobs, certainly not in all areas. Some areas of the country doing much better than others. But we were having, you know, a a limited um, economic recovery. But we still saw that people at the top are doing far, far better than people at the bottom, even with that tight labor market. Um, obviously, all of that came to a crashing halt with the coronavirus um, standard. And the sort of question is going forward, 
how do we build back? How do we create an economy that works for everybody? How do we create that shared prosperity that you talked about so that people have the resources to make the economy go, to buy the goods and services um, that uh, big companies like Amazon offer and that this economy works for everybody? And that's something we need to take a look at because I would say that the rules of the economy, certainly the tax system rules, are fundamentally broken. Um, just to go to back to Amazon for a second, um, certainly Jeff Bezos has built a mousetrap that works very, very well for everybody. Should it be the only uh, game in town? Should uh, there be different competing services? Well, that's sort of a question for antitrust people. But at least for a tax perspective, Amazon in the first year after that uh, Trump tax law that they passed in 2017 paid zero zero in federal income taxes. That's fundamentally wrong. They should be paying their fair share of taxes just like I do and just like you do. So I think moving forward to create an economy that works for everybody, we definitely need to revisit the tax laws to make sure that everybody is paying their fair share um, for the goods and services that uh, government delivers um, to our nation's citizens. Yeah, and and uh, please don't get the impression that I was uh, defending Jeff Bezos or Amazon in in any kind of uh, monopolistic uh, sense or or um, you know with with regard to getting away with not paying taxes. I the point I was making was that Jeff Bezos. I, I think when people read things about Jeff Bezos making a lot of money, it's not a big surprise. It's not a shock, and and. People don't really look at that and say, well, that shouldn't be. Uh, you know, there's uh -huh. this kind of understanding yeah, yeah. that he's it, done it, something really right. And, you know, most people look at that and say, well, of course Amazon is doing well <laughs> during this time. Yeah, and so, and from, and from my perspective, too, it's, it's a matter of level and it's a matter of perspective. Should Jeff Bezos be rich because he invented Amazon? Of course, it's a great service. I use it. I assume most of your listeners use it. I, maybe you use the service as well. It's a great, great service. And he should be justly rewarded for creating uh, that service. But to what extent should he be rewarded? Should he be rewarded to the extent that Amazon pays zero in federal taxes? I, no, I don't think that's fair. I think they can afford to pay some federal tax, a big successful corporation like Amazon. So it's not so much that, you know, Jeff Bezos is a bad person and he's rich and all rich people are bad. We're just <laughs> asking the rich in corporations to pay their fair share. Um, and that's, you know, it's a level, of, it's a question of perspective of levels, not, you know, good or bad or sort of starkly black or white. Yeah, it's just, it's just so hard for me to... Uh, and I think for a lot of people to to wrap their heads around um, this this idea that um, people who have money continue to collect money at a time when, for so many of us, money seems to have slowed down. Yeah, that's a it's a really really tough question to sort of wrap your head around. Um, but I think you know another piece to this puzzle is the extent to which uh, Wall Street got bailed out. So back in March, uh, Congress and the president passed the CARES Act, this big um, pandemic relief bill. So this was the bill that 
uh, authorized payments, $1,200 payments to everybody in this country. It's the bill that authorized an extra $600 for unemployment insurance. Many states, uh, I know Florida, for instance, uh, that unemployment check was right around $200, which is obviously not enough to live on. The government mandated uh, to shut down, uh, you know, bars, restaurants, services like that to get a hold of the outbreak and the pandemic. How are people going to live? They're going to live through unemployment insurance. And so that CARES Act boosted that unemployment um, assistance by $600. Unfortunately, that's expired now. Um, there's a bill that Democrats passed that would extend that. Um, hopefully, I think today there's going to be a call between uh, Speaker Pelosi and uh, Secretary Treasury Mnuchin to see if they can't reach another accord. Um, but all of that stuff was in the CARES Act back in March. What was also part of uh, the CARES Act back in March was a big bailout for Wall Street. Um, it authorized $500 billion of seed money so the Federal Reserve Board could say to corporate America, we will support you. We will bail you out. If you're struggling, if you need money, we will buy your bonds. We will make sure that there's enough liquidity that the whole market won't tank. Well, that's good because if the whole market tanks, that's sort of bad for everybody. But that also means that those people at the top, um, people like Jeff Bezos, people like the 643 billionaires in this country, got bailed out. Um, and I think the rest of America from the CARES Act got a little bit of help, but didn't get enough help. One of the that's things that's... One one of the things that's kind of interesting about that CARES Act is that there were people who never qualified for unemployment before who not only got $1,200 checks but got included uh, for the first time ever in unemployment benefits. And I'm talking about like uh, a lot of people in the gig economy, musicians and, uh, uh, you know, maybe maybe also uh, waiters and, and waitresses and, and bartenders and stuff who... Um, historically didn't qualify for unemployment insurance. Um, yeah, those contractors. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, pandemic and, unemployment insurance. And that is actually, that has not, the $600 um, extra bonus payment has expired, but that uh, provision of the CARES Act where contractors, people that aren't, um, you know, statutorily employees, but they're independent contractors, they can still collect um, unemployment insurance through the end of this year up until the 31st of December and that's when that provision expires. Mark do you think that's something we might see stick around is that uh, um, that change in the definition of who qualifies for unemployment benefits if they can prove that they were making money and now aren't making money um, you know through tax returns or, or other means um, are we going to see that continue going forward do you think is that maybe uh, uh on a permanent basis i don't know i haven't heard anybody that's a really interesting question i haven't thought about that but um certainly uh you know when the economy goes down when there's a recession uh independent contractors are hurting just like ordinary salaried employees of a business so i would think that you know um that that might be a uh uh, a possibility moving forward that um, we would include uh, independent contractors in that sort of definition. 
uh, of unemployment as being um, eligible to get those kinds of benefits. Might, might be an interesting uh, evolution of that system brought about by the pandemic. Maybe, maybe uh, just, just a, little, uh, a little shred of, of silver lining. Yeah, it's not my um, area of expertise, but I do know that whole sort of employment question. Are you an employee of um, a certain business or are you an independent contractor? What sort of civil rights and what sorts of obligations does that give you? What does that mean your employer has to provide for you? It's something that's getting contested right now. I know particularly in California, um, there is a ballot initiative. I'm not exactly sure what it does, but the heart of it goes to that sort of independent contractor question, particularly with regard to uh, Uber and Lyft. Are Uber and Lyft employers of their uh, of their drivers, or are the drivers actually independent contractors? And one of the big issues um, in that sort of question is the, is the tax issue. Should Uber and should Lyft be paying into California's unemployment insurance tax system so that when there is a, a recession, so when the, the drivers are out of work, that money is there to pay that unemployment insurance or not. Uber and Lyft, obviously, um, are taking the position that their drivers are independent contractors and they don't owe this unemployment insurance tax. So that money is there when there's a recession. Um, the state of California and the voters, I think, think differently. Um, and that is a ballot initiative that is on uh, the ballot this coming fall in that state. And, and, and one other thing is, how do those kinds of uh, workers impact what, what we've seen in, in terms of, uh, at times, record lows in unemployment? That's, a, that's another great question. So the unemployment, I'm thinking off the top of my head, when the Bureau of Labor Statistics um, generates that unemployment figure, they do not count um, uh, independent contractors in that number. So right now, um, we at Americans for Tax Fairness um, like to point to the fact that 30 million people are collecting unemployment benefits. Um, and that's exactly because of that thing you just pointed to, because of pandemic unemployment insurance that was passed by the CARES Act that makes independent contractors uh, for the first time eligible for these kinds of benefits. So that's 30 million Americans are receiving those benefits right now. But if you look at that unemployment uh, number that the Bureau of Labor Statistics puts out, and because they don't count independent contractors, only 14 million Americans are unemployed. And that you know, obviously is a, about half of the actual number of people um, that are out of work because of this pandemic and eligible to receive benefits because of it. Mark, I have uh, another break coming up. Can you stick around a little while longer and we'll talk about uh, what needs to be done? My guest is Mark uh, Rickling from Americans for Tax Fairness. And we've been talking about essentially uh, the rich getting richer. And, um, and we're going to talk about that some more. Is that a problem? And if so, what, uh, what needs to be done to... Um, tip the scales a little bit when we return. 
Um, if you're listening to us on 92.1 FM WFOV, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in edgewise. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And then we will return with Mark Rickling from Americans for Tax Fairness. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. Lots more straight ahead. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long format interviews with New York Times bestselling author photographers and writers from National Geographic as well as artists, musicians, candidates and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives. But we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19 where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe. 
and save lives. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, 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 take it away. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. My guest this hour is Mark Rickling from Americans for Tax Fairness, who, together with the Institute for Policy Studies, has uh, um, come out with a report. For some, it, it's uh, a little bit surprising. Others may say, oh, big surprise, the rich keep getting richer. Uh, but uh, it shows that billionaire wealth grew by 29% during the first six months of uh, the coronavirus crisis that we've been living through and uh, Mark Rickling is uh, joining me by phone Mark thanks for sticking around and spending this time with me this morning I appreciate it my pleasure Tom and thank you so much for having me on your show um, I, I mentioned before the break that we were going to get into this notion that the rich keep getting richer um, and and we've tried to explore a little bit about where that money comes from but um, let's let's get into that a little bit more. Um, where where uh, where are billionaires getting all of this money during a time when the government is is strapped because of coronavirus relief and and other things, um, and and a lot of people are holding their spending back because they're either unemployed, underemployed. Um, or just panicky. Um, where does the money come from? How do they? How, where is, is there a big pile of money someplace, and and they're the only ones that get to dip in? I I think some of it has to do with the fact that a lot of billionaires and a lot of wealth that they have um, comes from the stock market, um, and that you know, shockingly in tandem with billionaire wealth has been increasing recently, certainly since the sort of start of the pandemic. Um, it sort of fell off a cliff at the beginning and then, you know, roared back to a greater heights than where it was before. Why is so much money going into the stock market? Is it a house of cards? Is it, you know, a bubble uh, on the verge of collapsing? Well, you know, as, as I said before, the future is sort of, Hard to predict, but I would definitely be concerned about that um, scenario. So we're in a great, great recession right now. As you said, uh, people are out of work. There's not a lot of economic activity going on. So if you're a billionaire and you have a lot of money, um, you can't invest sitting on the sidelines. The interest rate is essentially negative, meaning that people uh, are paying the government because that interest rate is negative to loan them money. So it's essentially free for the government to borrow. You're not going to make any uh, money uh, holding government bonds. As a matter of fact, you're actually losing money to buy government debt. So instead of doing that, where are you going to put your money? Well, you take a look at the stock market, and the stock market is going through the roof. Well, then you're going to invest in the stock market, and that's only going to increase the value of the stock market even more. 
And so I think in this country, about uh, 50% of the stock market is owned by the top 1%. So it's very, very, very um, skewed in terms of who owns stock in this country. I've got a 401k plan. That's sort of my retirement in addition to, to Social Security. So I own, through that 401k plan, just a really, really tiny, tiny percent of uh, the stock market. And even though a lot of people, you know, via their retirement vehicles like 401k plans, own a little bit of stock, um, it's really the rich, that top 1%, that own most of the stock in this country. Um, and so when the stock market goes up, uh, we see billionaires' wealth go up as well. But I, but I still can't help wondering where the money comes from. Are they, are they making this money on paper, or is the the Fed printing money to back it up? Um, you know, it 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 just seems um, it it's it's just so hard to fathom, Mark. That's that's a good distinction. So, in a certain sense, these are these are paper uh, paper valuations. They're based upon um, what uh, the stock market says um, you're worth, and if the stock goes up you're worth more. If the stock market goes down, you're worth less. Um, another sort of number to keep in the back of your head is that GDP number, that gross domestic product. And that's the value of everything the country produces. And as you're saying, a lot of people are out of work. Uh, bars and restaurants are definitely not back to where they were pre-pandemic days. Uh, many businesses are failing because of the pandemic, because we haven't gotten a, a good um, handle on the spread of this disease. And that GDP figure as a result is way, way down. So the value of the stuff we're producing and making uh, in this country is, is through the floor still. It's rebounded somewhat off of the um, bottom uh, when the pandemic started in March, but it's nowhere near uh, the uh, levels at where it was before we were hit with the coronavirus. I'm, I'm uh, glad so that's a different sort of measure than than you know people's wealth and the income that billionaires are getting off of the stock market. Um, so those are two sorts of things to to keep in the back of your mind. Like to what extent is one paper loss or a paper gain, and to what extent is that a real sort of measure of what's happening in this country. And I would say that GDP figure is the real measure of what's going on with our economy. Um, does that mean billionaires really aren't succeeding? No, that doesn't mean billionaires aren't succeeding. I can take stock, I can sell stock, and I can go buy things with it. So that valuation of the stock market is very real for these billionaires. They are, in a real sense, richer. But that can go up and down depending on what happens to the stock market. I'm glad you mentioned the GDP because, uh, you know, we've always uh, sort of measured our national debt by whether the GDP could pay it off, and our national debt is exceeding the GDP uh, for the first time since, what, the mid-40s, the mid-1940s, uh, mid um, and, and that seems like it's something bad waiting to happen. It, it does seem like it's something bad, but I mean, I think a good sort of perspective to have is that our nation's finances aren't like the finances for a household, that the federal government and its balance sheet and its finances are fundamentally different than sort of what you or I or any sort of American has to deal with um, as an individual. 
Um, one of the reasons it's different is because um, it controls the money supply. It can sort of print money at will. That sometimes that might be a really bad thing to do. When the economy is um, at full tilt, when everybody's got a good job, when everybody's working, it would be very, very bad to sort of um, engage in that kind of deficit financing um, uh, strategy. Sort of what the Trump GOP uh, tax bill did in 2017, it added $2 trillion uh, to the nation's debt, and that's when uh, the economy was close to full employment. So I would say that that was a very um, unwise uh, use of our nation's resources. But today, when we're in a recession, when there's so many people on the sidelines, um, and when people actually pay the government to hold money for them, then that's a time when uh, that deficit financing, adding to the nation's debt, is actually a smart thing to do, because that can put people to work. And so if you look at the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, they're the ones that kind of keep track of our nation's finances, um, how much debt there is, um, and what is the cost, what is the, um, the interest we have to pay to finance that debt. That number actually went down. So obviously uh, our spending bills right now are adding to the nation's um, debt. We are spending money um, without collecting tax revenue to pay for it. But the cost of financing that actually went down because we're in a recession, because those interest rates are so low, below zero on a real term. So, well, it, you know, I would just say it's a little bit different between a household and the federal government. And the federal government sort of um, has to go through different rules on what's a wise use of resources, what's a wise use of debt, and what's not. Mark, we just, just have about a minute or so to go, but I want to make sure we touch on um, what needs to happen to level the playing field and, and if possible, what uh, John Q. Public can, can do to help move that along. So I understand there, there might be a debate tonight, um, <laughs> Biden versus Trump. And I think so it's going to be a knockdown drag out. I don't know what you think, but. So prior to this New York Times story, we were a little at Americans for Tax Theory. I was a little disappointed taxes weren't front and center. Obviously, the Supreme Court justice pick, how the president has dealt with or not dealt with the coronavirus pandemic, those things were front and center, and it wasn't taxes. Well, thanks to this New York Times story, taxes now front and center. And so Joe Biden has a really, really good tax plan from our perspective that starts to make the rich and corporations pay their fair share. He would raise about $4 trillion over the next 10 years to improve Social Security, to make uh, new investments in the economy. And he would only increase taxes on people that make $400,000 or more per year. So that, that's a really, really high level. And even by you know, limiting who he's increasing taxes on, that sort of 1% level in our country, he could raise that amount of money to make new investments and to protect Social Security. So we really like his plan. Mark, we've got to end it there, but where can people go to uh, see this study and, and the uh, tables contained therein? I would direct them to our website, and it's americansfortaxfairness.org, and all that is spelled out, a little bit long name to type into a, a browser, but if you Google Americans for Tax Fairness, um, I'm sure it will take you to the right site. And you can see our study on billionaires. 
And you can also see our analysis of both Trump's and uh, Joe Biden's tax plans. Well, Mark uh, Rickling is from Americans for Tax Fairness. Mark, thanks so much for spending this hour with me. I appreciate it very Thank much. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I thoroughly enjoyed it. All right. Take care. Up next, we're going to take a uh, look at some memorable moments from you past presidential debates. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. 